Morning. How are y'all? That's good. Don't answer that. It's rhetorical. Open with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Y'all are excited that we moved to chapter 4, aren't you? Good. Romans chapter 4, we'll be looking at that. I want to take a moment before I begin my sermon. And first of all, to encourage you, here we are in the sixth month of 2023. Uh, And uh, boy, that sure went fast, didn't it? And that means that it's time for me to remind you about our Bible intake guidebook. Okay, to encourage you to be reading the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, praying the Word of God. And so I want to take a moment to encourage you, if you uh, do not have a Bible intake guidebook, there are a few right out here on the Guest Center. I encourage you to take one today. If you have lost your Bible intake guidebook, I encourage you to take one uh, today before you leave. And I encourage you to read the Word of God and for it to fill your soul and your heart uh, with the joy that only can come from the Lord. And that is from Himself. And so I wanted to do that this morning. All right. Uh, We don't make a profit on these, by the way, so I'm not making a plug. Uh, Secondly, I wanted to give you a very brief report uh, from the Southern Baptist Convention Um, John Tilley, uh, Josh Dennis, Melissa Dennis, and myself went down to New Orleans this past past week and participated in the Southern Baptist Convention. And perhaps you heard a little bit about what was going on there, but there were uh, a few items that I thought were of great importance, uh, and I wanted to report to you on those things. Um, You can find all sorts of other things on the convention, but these were things that I thought were very important very important. Uh, One of the issues that has been uh, tracking in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, in the last few years is that of women pastors. Uh, It has been uh, an issue that has been debated and talked about very much on social media and in uh, articles and things like that. And I I wanted to give a, a couple of things. First of all, um, there were uh, the messengers. One of the things that we did as messengers is we, we voted uh, to rule um, three churches uh, as not being in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. Two of those churches, um, uh, Fern Creek Baptist Church uh, and Saddleback Church, were deemed not to be in friendly cooperation because they have uh, women pastors. Fern Creek has a woman pastor who has been a woman pastor for 33 years uh, at Fern Creek. Um, So there's a whole other issue there, but at the same time, that accountability has been brought forward now. And so those churches were deemed... Uh, not to be in friendly support or friendly cooperation with um, with Southern Baptist Convention. Saddleback, uh, in May 2021, Saddleback, many of y'all, maybe you don't know Saddleback Church, perhaps you've heard of the pastor Rick Warren, but they uh, ordained three women to the gospel ministry 
in uh, May of 2021. And two of those women are now serving on staff as pastors at Saddleback Church. And recently, um, uh, one of those ladies, um, Stacy Wood, along with her husband, Andy Wood, uh, have been specified teaching pastors at Saddleback Church. And so Saddleback Church was deemed not in friendly cooperation. Uh, mind you, uh, that was determined by an 88% vote, and Fern Creek was determined by over 90% vote. This was not something the Southern Baptist Convention was divided over. This was significant in terms of the... Uh, the removal of these churches. Freedom Church was deemed not to be in friendly cooperation because the church failed to cooperate to resolve concerns regarding a sexual abuse allegation. Um, they went through another means to try to get um, uh, to be determined, resolved through another denomination and uh, said it had been resolved, but it had not been resolved among Southern Baptists and the evidence points to they were having a problem with this, and they would not cooperate, and so they were removed for that purpose. Uh, I think it's important for us to understand that. I've been to several uh, Southern Baptist conventions. I don't recall one where we removed a church. So that was the first one for me. I'm sure somebody has been to one where they did, but uh, that's good accountability um, for, for that. Another thing I want to, uh, to point out is that messengers uh, voted to amend the Southern Baptist Convention Constitution. Uh, and that amendment is, uh, points to uh, it's the motion to amend or specifically add a sixth point under the paragraph of Article 3 in our Constitution that lists characteristics of churches in friendly cooperation with the SBC. And the sixth point would describe churches that affirm, appoint, or employ only men as any kind of pastor or elder as qualified by Scripture. So there's been the beginning of the process of adjusting the Constitution for the Southern Baptist Convention to ensure that churches that would be in cooperative uh, cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention uh, would have men serving in the role of pastor, elder. Um, that particular uh, amendment will not be fully approved until next year's convention. There's a stipulation to change the Constitution um, that it has to be voted on twice. And so it takes two years to make that amendment. I wanted to report this to you and uh, let you have at least some information, you're certainly welcome to ask myself or Josh or, um, or John. I won't say Melissa because she would kind of uh, maybe crumple if you asked her that. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, she, she does have a good knowledge of these things. Um, all right. With that being said, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we come to your word desiring, Lord, to be moved by it, to be changed by it be shaped by it, to be made new by it, Lord Father. I pray that you would uh, use your word to bring the power of conviction, Lord, on our hearts and on our minds. And Father, that you would be glorified 
and exalted in our hearts and our minds that our lives, Lord, would be lived for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Moving into chapter 4 of Romans, uh, Paul has been laying out um, the justification by faith or through faith. It's by grace through faith. And he's been laying that out over the last several verses in chapter 3, and now he's moved into chapter 4, and he's giving an example of Abraham as being one who was justified by grace through faith. Um, One thing that Paul has laid out is that God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles. Salvation is not for the Gentiles different than it is for the Jews. Uh, that both are saved by the same gospel, by the same Christ. Uh, He's been laying out that there's only one means, one way of justification for everyone, uh, both Jew and Gentile, and for all time, both past in the Old Testament and present in the New Testament and in the days to come. And that uh, one way of salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ Last week we talked about that God's commands are not nullified by justification through faith. We need to understand that coming to faith in Jesus Christ brings us to a place where I want to walk in obedience. I want to live for Christ. Paul in saying these things has the Jews scratching their heads. Because they've heard a very different gospel through the, the, their days. Uh, the people that are uh, Paul's contemporaries would have heard a gospel that is actually the opposite of what Paul is saying as it pertains to Abraham particularly. And Paul knows that what he is saying rubs them the wrong way. And what he asks here in chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 1, is something that he's actually using, I think, to pick a fight. Uh, He's asking this on behalf of the Jewish rabbi, or the Jewish uh, person, the Jewish Christian even, because they've been taught all these things through the years. And so uh, there's something that he's bringing out through all of this is this. There's only one gospel. Justification is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And may I add, it always has been. Uh, People in the Old Testament did not get saved They were not justified by a different means than we are. And so Paul is reiterating that. He's bringing that to bear. And the things that he has said about the gospel, he's now laying out an example. And so they're saying, you know what? We see this very differently. We see that Abraham was justified by merit. By his righteousness. That's how they understand Genesis 15, 6, which Paul quotes here in this text. We we see that God saw his righteousness and 
justified him. And Paul's saying, you know what? I'll be glad to step into this argument with you because you're wrong. And I like arguments when the other person is wrong. Those are the fun ones, right? I can just pick on you a little bit and then slam dunk you. You know, it's what he's going to do. Everybody likes that kind of logic. It's like, you know, somebody lobbing a softball up there for you and you're just waiting on the pitch and big old ball there and you just go, yes. And so Paul brings this question and this, I want us to see he's, He's illuminating something. He's illuminating grace. He's shining a light on the grace of God and how the grace of God has been the means of saving anyone who has ever been saved. And so there's three things I want us to see about this grace. First of all, In verse 1, I want us to see the continuity of grace. The continuity of grace. Secondly, I want us to see unconditional grace in verse 2. Unconditional grace in verse 2. And then in verse 3, I want us to see the instrument of grace. How does that grace come to us? So first, let's look at the continuity of grace. Chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained, or in your, your translation may say found, by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. There's a dispute on what is meant by gained or found. What's he looking for? What does it modify? Without getting into all of the debate, let me just say this. In asking this question, did Abraham find that God would save him because of his own merit? Or did he find that God would save him because of something outside of Abraham? Did he find that God was gracious or that he himself was good? Paul's going to answer that question. But I want us to see the continuity of grace that's going on. I mean, Paul is picking a fight with the Jewish rabbis here. He knows the verse he is about to quote is a favorite verse of the rabbis. And he's going to prove the opposite of what they believe about the verse. That verse, by the way, uh, is, is, is in verse 3. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. So uh, he knew what the rabbis believed about this verse, and he's fixing to let them know, you've got a wrong understanding about that. Paul, in all of this, is establishing his teaching on justification by appealing to the Old Testament. Uh, He's saying, I'm going to take up this argument, and I'm going to use Abraham as an example of justification by faith. 
And I'm going to use another guy that y'all really like and that I like too, Paul would say. And that's David. We're not going to get to David today. We're just going to stick with Abraham today. Uh, but uh, he, So he's going to use these two huge figures to show justification by faith. Grace through faith. He's going to show that the gospel is confirmed in the life and the experience of Abraham. These rabbis, they're children of Abraham. They would have charged Paul with coming up with something new. They would have charged Paul with coming, some, coming up with something that he just pulled out of thin air. Paul, you just don't even know what you're talking about. But he's going to take the Old Testament and he's going to expound it for them. So Paul's appealing to Abraham as this example of justification by grace through faith. And he knows they would appeal to Abraham as well, but from this very different perspective. Paul's saying that the Old Testament teaches this uh, and has always taught this. The people of the Old Testament were not saved in a different way than we are saved. The thing is, is that he started this letter saying that. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Let's go all the way back to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. He starts out saying, this is not a new gospel. This is the gospel of the Old Testament. Verse 1, Romans chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David. Y'all pick that up? Uh, He's set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets. This gospel that Paul is proclaiming has always been the same gospel. It hasn't changed. Secondly, look at chapter 3, verse 21. We just covered this not long ago, but in verse 21 of chapter 3 and and 22, he says this, Uh, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There it is. Same gospel. Folks, I want you to know the gospel that Paul Paul proclaimed there, uh, the gospel that we proclaim, that gospel, this gospel of Jesus Christ It has been the same gospel since before the foundation of the world. It has not changed. It will not change. Because no other gospel can do what this gospel can do. And that is to save to the uttermost the worst sinner there is. And to deliver them into eternal life. And so Paul is just bringing this on. There's a continuity to this grace. There wasn't a break halfway through, okay? There wasn't a break uh, at 0 B.C. or whatever that would be. 
1 AD. There wasn't some break that took place when Christ came into this world and was crucified and risen again. Something didn't change there except that the promise was fulfilled. So it's important for us to realize that this grace that Paul speaks of, it's continuous. It doesn't change, and it will not change. Secondly, I want us to see unconditional grace. There was nothing that caused God to look at Abraham and say, I want that guy. There was nothing in Abraham that caused that. The Jews of Paul's day taught that Abraham was chosen by God because of his righteousness. Not God's righteousness, Abraham's righteousness. They also taught that Abraham was without sin. Somebody just thought, Rick, you're making this up. Okay, well, how about the prayer of Manasseh? which was written a couple of centuries before the time of Christ. And it goes like this, Therefore you, O Lord, the God of the righteous, have not appointed repentance for the righteous, for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who did not sin against you, but have appointed repentance for me, a sinner. That's what the rabbis taught. Abraham, the patriarchs, not just Abraham, but the patriarchs, didn't sin. They were righteous in and of themselves. That's what Paul's up against. And so, uh, bringing out this point, I want you to see that Paul knows the rabbinic teaching. He came up under it. He was a Pharisee himself. He knew these things. And he knew, man, I had it all wrong. <laughs> I had it all wrong. And then there's this quotation from the book of Jubilees, another Jewish work written before the time of Christ. And it says, Abraham was perfect in his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6. And the rabbis commented on this verse. And in their commentary, they say, Our father Abraham became the heir of this and the world to come simply by the merit of faith. In other words, his faith was a work whereby he earned the right to the inheritance of this world and the world to come. Listen to verse 2 of Romans chapter 4. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul's saying, if you're right that Abraham merited salvation and his righteousness is the cause of God's choosing him, if that is 
the case, then Abraham has the right to boast before God. And at that place, the rabbis would have gone, Blasphemer. That's the point he's making. That's the point he's driving home. If anyone is saved by any merit of their own, they have something to boast about before God. And the rabbis would be saying, that's not what I'm saying. And Paul's not taking any of it. He's saying, that's exactly what you're saying. That's why Paul says, not before God. He's making sure they understand, look, I'm not teaching this. Nobody can boast before God. Nobody. That's why he's saying it. His contemporaries... We're saying that God's elections, God's choice, God's salvation of Abraham was based on Abraham's righteousness. You're saying that God's salvation of Abraham, Paul says, was based on something in Abraham, not something in God. Paul saying about the gospel that they hold, that God somehow looked out and he saw Abraham and said, man, look at that dude, I like him. Look, he's there in the Ur of the Chaldees. He, he's this uh, you know, river worshiper. I like this guy. I'm going to pick him to be the father of the nation that I'm going to build. That's not what happened, is it? There was nothing about Abraham that caused God to go, I want that guy. God didn't look at Abraham and say, man, look at this guy's lineage. I mean, look at his father. And his brother, his nephew. I need those guys to make this thing work. Folks, I am glad that God does not choose us on the basis of anything in us. I still can't believe he would save me. I do. I still can't comprehend it. Unless I look at it through the lens of a God who is full of grace and love and mercy. Because there's nothing about us that has caused God to say, I need you. I'm going to save you because you're all that. It's not what's going on. 
God's salvation of Abraham was not conditional. It was unconditional. Abraham barely knew God, if you will. Except that he called him out and said, go to this place. And Abraham said, well, nobody else is talking to me. Okay. God's responding to something in Abraham and God's giving grace to Abraham is conditioned upon Abraham in this argument and what he does. And Paul's saying to these rabbis, these Jewish leaders, that's completely wrong. You've got it flipped upside down on its head because God initiated it. God always initiates salvation. There is nobody here who was saved because you found something about God. No one is here because of anything that God saw in us. Nobody's saved for any reason except that God ignited your heart to believe the gospel. Because you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead things can't do anything. All they can do is be consumed. That's it. Just consumed all the time. But God makes dead things live. And that's what he did in us. He made us alive together with Christ. God initiates. And we respond in faith. That's it. That's all we do. We believe. We believe. And in that believing, we turn to him and away from sin. Listen to what Jonathan Edwards says. If there be ground for you to trust in your own righteousness then all that Christ did to purchase salvation and all that God did to prepare the way for salvation is in vain. None of it matters. Briefly, let me point to the instrument of grace. In verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him. As righteousness. First of all, let me point out that Abraham believed. Abraham didn't do a ritual. As we read on down through here, we're going to find that, uh, uh, that much is going to be spoken of, of the covenant sign of circumcision. And if you look back in Genesis, you will find that Abraham hadn't come to that place yet. That sign has not been established yet. Yet he believed. 
Folks, I, I, I want us to see that Abraham believed, and that is the instrument of grace. That is the instrument and the channel through which grace flows into us, flows to us. Abraham believed. Some of you may be working diligently to get yourselves to heaven. And I'm afraid that you may have it turned upside down, just like the rabbis did. And you've got it standing on its head. And really what you're working for right now is you are earning the wages of sin. That's death and eternity in hell. If your gospel involves, I got to do these things to be saved, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. It says that Abraham believed. And may I point out that he believed God. He didn't believe believing. He didn't believe faith. He didn't believe something empty. He didn't believe in something obscure. He believed in an object that was real and in front of him and speaking to him and pointing him in a way. He believed in the living God. And if you think faith in whatever will save you, it won't. Your faith has to be in what God says faith has to be in. And that is in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing he believed God. And by believing God, look what it says, and it was counted to him as righteousness. By believing, uh, Abraham was counted righteous through faith and faith alone, through nothing else except faith alone. He believed in Jesus Christ, and it was imputed to him the righteousness of Christ. I'm so glad of that. I mean, I was just kind of wondering, what's that going to look like, you know, when we get to heaven? I mean, when, when we die and are resurrected or when Christ comes and we're changed and we're taken into his presence, I mean, do we get a sticker or something, you know? Is that how it's going? I mean, do we get a sticker, redeemed? imputed righteousness of Christ. That's what it reads. Maybe it's a medal or something that's hanging around us. The Bible speaks a lot about crowns. Maybe it's that. But when Abraham believed, God made a declaration about him, you are righteous. Now after that happened, y'all go ahead and read the rest of Genesis and find out how old righteous old Abraham was in his actions. And God kept forgiving him and kept giving him grace. And Abraham kept repenting and he kept doing this. I want you to see that. He was covered by the grace of God. And he kept doing things his own way. And what was God always? Faithful. 
Faith is the means of receiving righteousness, not the cause of righteousness. We see the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. Don't forget that there's three types of imputation going on in Scripture. Adam's sin was imputed to us, right? I mean, in Adam, everybody sins. Our sin has been imputed to Christ. And he bore it on the cross, taking it away from us. And in that third one, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. How? Through faith. And faith alone. Because when we believe the living God, the gavel comes down and he makes the judicial declaration, you are righteous. It's a judgment that cannot and will not be revoked. So may I encourage you to trust in Jesus Christ alone, to call on him. May I encourage you to live your lives to the fullest to the glory of God. May I encourage you not to squander the salvation that he has given, but instead to diligently live out the faith that you have in Jesus Christ every single day, living to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and a gospel that does not change. It has never changed. It is always been by grace through faith. Lord, it would be disturbing for us to trust in a gospel that changes. It would be impossible to do it. So, Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, that you have given us a sure and steady anchor in Christ and a sure and steady gospel that finds its basis in his sacrifice, your promise. Father, we love you and give you praise and do so in Jesus' name.